Hey everyone, welcome to the Smart Economy Podcast, a production of neonewstoday.com. I'm your host, Dylan Grabowski. This episode of the Smart Economy Podcast is part of the series focusing on decentralized finance, better known as DeFi. In episode two of the DeFi series, I chat with Shiloh, also known as Lieutenant Snake Pliskin, the Chief Administrative Officer at Elk Finance. Elk Finance is a cross-chain liquidity platform that offers DeFi services such as staking, liquidity pools, and integrates NFTs across 19 blockchain networks and growing. In this conversation, Shiloh and I discuss how the DeFi platform achieves cross-chain interoperability, Elk Finance's impermanent loss protection, bridging as a service, fair token distribution, the types of contracts Elk Finance deploys, the research process when adding new chains, using NFTs to access cross-chain proxy token services, and much more. Just a reminder, nothing said on this podcast is a solicitation to buy or sell any tokens, that nothing should be taken as financial advice, and that the host or guests may hold tokens discussed in any given episode. With that said, I really enjoyed chatting with Shiloh, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation too. It's pretty much an honor to have you come join the Smart Economy podcast today. Well, no, it's great to be here. I appreciate the invite, and we're always looking to like, you know, reach out and chat with whoever we can, honestly. Yeah, I've uh, been enjoying uh, digging around your social medias, looking at your TikToks, other outreach. Oh, yeah? You saw the TikToks? Yeah. All right. <laughs> it's been pretty fun to watch. I get a little bit excited when people are um, passionate about sharing their projects and you guys are doing some really innovative kind of media outreach. Is this something that you're just doing as kind of a hobby or, you know, combining two passions? Yeah, you know, kind of like, I guess I, I didn't have TikTok. I, I barely have any social media. So I'm, I'm learning as we go. We have our own marketing team, but the TikTok was just another thing we couldn't do. I uh, went to an NFT conference in Banff, NFT gathering, and they were talking about how important TikTok is. And I'm like, well, okay, you know, you want me to have the spotlight? I guess I can do that. You know, <laughs> yeah, I remember listening to a bunch of podcasts from a few years ago, deep in the bear market, the last bear market, and everybody was saying basically, if you're not figuring out TikTok right now, you're going to be a social media boomer in a couple of years. Right. And I think we're kind of getting there. We are getting there. I think it's true. <laughs> it's a lot of fun, actually. It's more fun than I thought it would be. Yeah. The one where you guys had the Elk Finance sticker on the back of the car. And you guys did like, uh, it looked like some B-roll footage of jumping into the car was hilarious. Yeah, it was super B-roll and awesome. It was a lot of fun. (laughs) So you're from Canada, correct? I am. Yeah, I'm from Calgary, Alberta. Awesome. Well, congratulations on the win last night against Dallas. Oh, yeah. The Flames. Yeah, that was a close one. It was a good game. Yeah. I very rarely watch hockey, but got to be very excited by the overtime win and the first time your team is going to the playoffs in like five or six years. So yeah, it was a close one. There was some wonderings. Awesome. Yeah. Now, before we kind of get into this, most of my Canadian vernacular comes from Letterkenny. Oh, yeah. And I'm wondering how realistic is that show or how overblown is it? You know, I know it's media, but... Yeah, it's humorous. It's overblown. But where I grew up, I grew up in Southeast Saskatchewan. And uh, 
it's especially that same kind of accent came out when people were talking about something they did that was particularly rebellious or like, Oh yeah. He just like got right in there. Right. And he threw like a punch and it was like super fast and body couldn't do anything, you know? And it was all kind of, uh, kind of like that. Awesome. Yeah. That's, uh, the closest I have to our brothers from the North to understanding kind of from television and media, you know, what portrayal is like for Canadian life. And it seems a bit, uh, more small town oriented. So I'm sure that Very. there's a lot of nuances that you get between towns and cities and across the country. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So I'm really excited to have you on the Smart Economy podcast. We used to be neo-focused, but we have since expanded to become protocol agnostic. And the series we're focusing on DeFi. So Elk is doing some really awesome cross-chain, collaborative, connective, liquidity pools, farming, yielding, you know, multi-standard elk coin, all sorts of things going on. But maybe just from your perspective, can you just like share with the Smart Economy podcast audience what elk finance is? Yeah. So elk finance is really a value transfer protocol. And that's like a lot of big words. Um, And we love that in DeFi, you know, using these these technical terms, but really just a way to move your uh, assets around within DeFi without using a centralized exchange. So for that, we have um, something called the ElkNet. Um, and you can find it on a tab at app.elk.finance. And so basically, for those in the podcast who may not be aware, a bunch of currencies have their own blockchain, like you know Avalanche, Ethereum, Phantom, you know Polygon, etc. And uh, of course, not all coins have their own blockchain, but uh, some do. And we uh, allow the movement of value between them. You can transfer as fast uh, as seven seconds. So kind of uh, a bridge is the simplest terms, but we work in a little bit of a different way. So really, it's kind of about uh, connecting all of DeFi together. So the product, like I mentioned, is called ElkNet. So how I picture it is um, it's kind of the central hub of a wagon wheel, right? If you picture that, And you see all those spokes going out and pretend each spoke would connect to a blockchain. And for right now, you can send ELK from any of those blockchains to a reservoir contract, so a pool on each chain. And then basically ELKnet picks that up and says, hey, uh, this user wants to transfer. And it uh, looks for the fact that that transaction has gone through. And then uh, it waits for finality, which is, you know, a whole thing with with blockchains and making sure multiple sources agree with that. And then releases the funds from a different pool on the destination chain, which is, you know, we call a reservoir, and it releases it to the user's wallet. Basically, in simple terms, is is kind of how it uh, how it works. So you can instantly move between all these chains without, uh, you know, having to go anywhere. Yeah, that's super cool, and I definitely want to dig more into Elknet. A little bit later, I got to ask now. So, is Elknet its own blockchain? Are you operating kind of like on an EVM standard, or what? What is like the architecture of Elknet beyond the hub and spoke model you were just talking about? Yeah, yeah. So that's an interesting question. Right now, Elknet operates, you know, outside of a blockchain. So right now, it's centralized, but we're making it completely decentralized with uh, actually. Uh, folks being able to run ElkNet nodes. So it would, it would use similar architecture to uh, like Go and other implementations of blockchains, but it's actually not yet a blockchain. Actually, uh, really, it's more of an oracle. 
So, you know, it can get data from all of the blockchains in a secure way. Uh, we have a lot of our own RPCs, nodes. We rent some and we use the, the main ones as well. And so we have all these multiple sources. So the great thing about ElkNet is it doesn't care what language or uh, if they're EVM or not, the chain that it's interacting with it doesn't care. It just needs confirmations, yes or no, and can be implemented anywhere. Right now, we're only on EVMs, but leaving the possibility of non-EVMs as well. So you may or may not be familiar with NEO, but NEO kind of launched in 2015, mainnet 2016, and then it's iteratively been slowly decentralizing over time. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of staunch blockchain and distributed uh, network individuals might say decentralization first, but I can kind of understand and appreciate the nuances to slowly decentralizing over time. So now that we have kind of just like a basic overview and a small like technological understanding under the hood of what Elk Finance is, how did you end up working in the blockchain space? It just doesn't seem to me that creating like a bridging as a service platform is something that somebody brand new to blockchain and crypto lands on. So what's kind of been your journey, maybe through the developer space and then into blockchain? Yeah. So for me, I'm I'm like the developer, small D, maybe just dev. I do like the smallest little things. Our founder, uh, Ball, who is currently anonymous, but uh, of course, after we incorporate, definitely won't be. But uh, he's got a PhD in distributed systems. So he's been thinking about this for longer than I've been in the space. So for him and, uh, you know, it was clear in 2016 when things were emerging that there was going to be multiple chains. And, you know, they were all going to be competing. And the thing about DeFi is it's always grasping on the new tech, what's new, what's on the edge. And people weren't just going to settle for one chain because that's not the spirit. We want as many options as possible. So, you know, we wanted a way to kind of take them all and have them communicate and transfer value between all of them. So, you know, realizing that they are going to have scalability problems, why not have an intermediary solution that kind of solves those that isn't centralized? So, you know, it kind of led to the development of Elk and that idea. And it's funny, when we started in March 2021, uh, a lot of folks are like, what are you talking about? There's like so few blockchains, this is going to matter. But then boom, we've seen all these blockchains and all these, you know, multi-chain is the future, right? And uh, there's not going to be one chain to rule them all. People are always going to want to move. So why not have something that can launch on any chain that allows you to kind of move between them? Is this your first blockchain project you're working on? For me, actually, I was in a couple smaller ones before Elk, you know, some really, you know, I don't know if I'm allowed to curse, but certain coins that are less than reputable and boom, and then bust immediately. <laughs> yeah. So you, you've had the uh, pleasure of learning, uh, gaining experience the hard way. That's right. Yeah. And then uh, when I got uh, on the Elk team, you know, it's, it's really something useful and that I was instantly, uh, you know, drank the punch. So <laughs> yeah, it's funny because there's so many projects, blockchain and crypto, and it's so hard to kind of hear about them. But when Sai from Saffron pulled my ear and pointed out Elk Finance and I started digging around, it was pretty exciting because you guys are working on really interesting and innovative stuff. So maybe we can start easing into that. And I guess I want to hear from your perspective, what separates Elk Finance? I'm just going to broadly classify you guys as like a swapping aggregator? Yeah. 
So like what separates your platform from what other projects are working on that do similar services? Sure. So, I mean, the biggest one I've got to start with is, is ElkNet in general, uh, just the way it's designed. You look at some certain exploits that have happened, you know, billions of dollars of exploits on bridges. ElkNet solves that problem for the most part. And even during a 51% attack, there's some measures in place to make sure that doesn't happen. So it even happened uh, under normal circumstances a while ago uh, with a blockchain where multiple RPCs were down and there was only one. ElkNet actually wouldn't authorize the transaction just in case there was a 51% attack on that chain. Of course, there wasn't, but you know it's got those protections in place. So I think ElkNet as the intermediary, a lot of bridges don't have that central hub. They've got a bridge between two or a few chains. And what happens is you know, you've got the same bridge contract. It's maybe just a couple contracts. And if you can exploit one, you can exploit them all because they're, they're the same and they're deployed that way. Uh, whereas ElkNet's a little bit more versatile. So I would say that's the biggest thing. Nothing like ElkNet, exactly like ElkNet, exists because it's not forked from anything. It's pure organic farm fresh original code. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. So what are kind of the languages that your development team uses to build ElkNet? Is it all front end kind of React right now because you're managing essentially an Oracle or what does like the developer experience look like for your team? So I don't do any of the uh, development for ElkNet itself. You know what? I actually don't even know what language it's written in because like my coding knowledge is basically like knowing the alphabet in terms of the English language. Like I'm like that far behind. Yeah. I've been writing in the cryptocurrency and blockchain space since January, 2018. And I don't know how to code at all. So <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm among peers right now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so as to what language, that's something I can totally find out. Yeah. I also like to kind of get the high level for these podcasts because I want to be able to like introduce each episode to my mom who knows nothing about cryptocurrency. So yeah, given that you're connecting so many chains, I guess... What's the definition of DeFi from your perspective? Just like if you were to give an elevator pitch to somebody who's never heard of it before, how would you describe it? Yeah. So decentralized finance is, picture it like having your money in a bank versus having your money, cash money in your wallet. And it's very similar. There's, there's a, a wallet you have um, that's directly on the blockchain that you own and only you can control as long as you don't share your password. Whereas a centralized exchange is, is kind of like a bank. You've got your money there. They can maybe take out loans against it and make some interest while you're not making much of anything. Where DeFi lets you control your money and without a financial advisor, which can be dangerous, you know, you can go to different platforms, gain some interest. You can stake, put your tokens in a pool and gain different tokens And you can do farming, which is lending your uh, tokens so people can borrow and swap between them like a co-op, you know, so that you can earn some fees that way. Of course, it's dangerous because you've got to know what to look for in terms of scams. Tons out there. It's Wild West right now. But uh, it's kind of a way to make your own financial decisions with your own money. Yeah, we are on the heels of the Terra ecosystem implosion. And I think nothing really highlights better that anything you put in could and might go to zero. 
So we, we also have a disclaimer at the beginning of the show that nothing said here is financial advice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I am not a financial advisor. <laughs> so granted that a lot of the 19 chains that Elk Finance currently supports seemingly are EVM. Luna didn't necessarily impact your platform per se, but what does an event like that, that cascades across the whole blockchain industry, how does something like that impact the work that you guys are doing? Well, I mean, I think it's impossible to be independent from the entire DeFi market. So like something that affects a project so big like Luna is going to, you know, obviously affect the trust in decentralized finance that people have and and especially institutional investment. It starts to get scared. So, you know, our our price dropped too. We saw, you know, a lot of uh, chats been a little bit quieter, people dropping off just because of that happening and and talking to some poor folks who had some UST or Luna and just like, oh my gosh, like uh it's just really sad. And, you know, a a lot of folks will sit there and and point, you know, you got to do your own research, but sure, sure, that's a blanket statement. It's a skill building process and we all have to rely on some sources and what do we trust versus others? And a lot of this stuff was known, you know, about Luna. So I I hesitate to even call it a black swan event. Yeah, that's fair. So does that kind of impact the direction that you guys were moving or did you already have this kind of education first or protect our user at all costs possible philosophy being put into the work that you guys do day in and day out. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think our really a focus here is interacting with our community and education first. We have, you know, uh, I, I have the Elk Finance podcast, which is just about crypto for anyone. We've got the Elk Academy articles that are uh, really awesome. We're constantly teaching users in our chat about what something is, answering, you know, similar questions and Really, I figure it's it's not only beneficial for, for every community member of DeFi to know what kind of things are going on and know terms and know how to do things. If your project is investing in education, um, you're going to have holders who understand not only your protocol, but are more knowledgeable in general. So they're more likely to make better decisions, which actually will positively impact your project. So I think education first has been you know a cornerstone for us since we started. Yeah. That's a philosophy we've had covering NEO and now going into more protocol agnostic approach, always, you know, objective, non-sensational, you know, facts and fact-based approach. So what is the user base of Elk like? You know, when I saw it, everything clicked, but I've also been a DeFi user since 2020. Um, I've been in the blockchain space since 2017. So I guess you could call me crypto native. I'm wondering if like uh, my friends who are buying their first ledger and maybe using Uniswap for the first time, are they going to be, I guess, educated enough or savvy enough to understand what Elk Finance offers? Or what are you seeing are the type of users that your platform is attracting? Yeah, we hope so. And we see a lot of those new folks coming in, maybe not so much right now, but, uh, you know, our, our decks looks a little different. And I think it's easy to get the hang of. We have the articles, we have the information out there. We have the videos uh, about how to do and tutorials, but I think we can always do it better. But I think anyone can pretty easily get the hang of elk. Any, any, you know, person I've introduced to elk uh, has kind of gotten the hang of it for the most part. If they're relatively tech savvy, you know, they can kind of understand what they're doing, but I, I think we can always improve on that too. Yeah, the UI is pretty sweet for the platform. You can see where you stake, where you can LP. The option to move Elk from one chain to the next is 
really cool. And that means that there's going to be 19 different Elks right now because there are 19 different blockchains you support. So it sounds like interoperability is a huge focus for the platform. So what is kind of your team's vision of interoperability and how do you strive to really incorporate that into all facets of the DeFi platform? Sure. That's a great question. Like tokenomically, which is a word that I'm just going to make up. I think we designed what ELK, the ELK token would look like in terms of uh, max supply, right? We've got a 42 million ELK token max supply that we can use to operate between all of the chains. And so there's only ever going to be that max supply circulating ever. And right now we've got... Mm, Let's click here and find out. Yeah, our supply is like 7.9 million elk at time of recording. So we're only just a little bit over 15, 20% there, I guess, 20% there. So that's part of it is, is having the elk to do it, the token. And interoperability, uh, meaning that ElkNet really helps with that because we can create a contract and a token. Anywhere you can create a token, we can have elk. And ElkNet would really regulate the max supply along with our reservoirs. And ElkNet is the center for the interoperability. It can, it can communicate with anything. It doesn't care. And our view is we want to be on every blockchain that people want to be on, and maybe even some that people don't. <laughs> so each time you guys add a new blockchain to ElkNet, you're essentially minting the 42 million supply on each network. So how does ElkNet kind of manage the ledger of ledgers? So like each time you add a new supply, you're probably going to have like 1% on this chain, 2% on that chain. What's the sort of process that goes into managing all that so that we don't run into like any double spend issues or, you know, minting the same amount of tokens on a new chain? Yeah, that's a really good question. So we have a few of those features built right into ElkNet as well as our contract setup. So I, I oversimplified it a little bit when I was explaining, but that part about ElkNet looking for multiple confirmations from multiple sources, multiple RPCs, to ensure that the transaction's final, can't be re reversed, and it's not a 51% attack, are taken into account before the Elk is released to the user's wallet. That's one piece. And as we decentralize, we'll have multiple users, you know, also confirming the transactions for a small fee that also ensure from multiple sources that they all agree. Now, the second factor really is the reservoir contract. So technically, we actually have both a reservoir contract and a bridge contract on each of the chains. So that also prevents a, a double spend. So essentially, Elk is unlocked from the reservoir sent to the bridging contract, or is it the other way around? Anyway, and the uh, the Elk is sent to the user's wallet. So it's actually filtered through both smart contracts, the reservoir and the bridge contract, to ensure that each transaction has been final and agrees with ElkNet as well. So that eliminates the double spend. If we had a single contract, that could be more of a risk. But since we have the reservoir and the bridging contract, that uh, eliminates that possibility. So does the bridging contract essentially just tell ElkNet centralized entity X amount of tokens are live on this network right now? Yeah, it kind of reads from both of those contracts to know that that's happened and it's only been executed once. Yeah, that's super cool. I've never heard of 
the reservoir system that you're talking about. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And it actually sounds like one of those things where the beauty is in its simplicity. And that was it, right? It's more secure just because it's easier to keep track of. Yeah, it's exactly why like Bitcoin maxis are so staunch in how long it takes to upgrade anything on Bitcoin. It just takes so long that everything's going to be so simple. Right. That's why there's no like smart contract functionality or anything like that because the network just wants to be as simple as possible, you know, to maintain the 21 million Bitcoin meme. Absolutely. So how does Elk get released into the wild then? You're saying right now that about 7 million of the 42 million supply have been created. So is this like a kind of fair release schedule where the Elk is released as uh, rewards to liquidity providers and to single side stakers? Yes, exactly. So primarily we release a bunch of Elk year by year through farming. So fair farming, we have different farms on our, our decks at app.elk.finance um, with some pretty decent APR now that, you know, people have lost interest in DeFi. <laughs> it's still sustainable. It's not like, you know, a thousand percent or anything like that. So anyone providing liquidity can put that the LP tokens they gain from doing that and put that in the farms and kind of earn some elk that way. We also have a fund for impermanent loss protection, which is equally sized to our farming. So basically any impermanent loss, which occurs when two assets provided in a liquidity pool start to differ in value. And uh, you would have more tokens had you held them both. For example, uh, impermanent loss is uh, paid in elk to our farmers who also kind of receive that amount in elk of, of what they would have lost out on compared to holding. Uh, so that gets some of them out. We have our community fund, which our upcoming governance will be able to make decisions on uh, where we emit. We have Elk Labs, which uh, we are uh, hopefully going to be incorporating quite soon, which is kind of a reserve fund for uh, the continued development of Elk, uh, which will kind of promote the uh, initial valuation of the, the company, which is not Elk itself, which is the development arm of Elk. So we have those released. Yeah, of course, we have giveaways and things like that. Uh, and a bunch has already been given out for our airdrops for our moose holders, which was our, our NFT that we, uh, we used to pay back uh, 100% in elk as a reward for our early investors, um, which, of course, we're no, no longer paying back with the, with the newest uh, moose mints. So yeah, we have a, a variety of ways to kind of get it out in the ecosystem, even holding competitions such as elk season, where people just post funny memes and have fun competitions together and they can earn it that way. So we're trying to get it out into as many sectors as possible in a fair way. So it's not centralized. Yeah. Elk and Thorchain are really the only two projects I've I've heard kind of address the impermanent loss protection so that also really kind of like perked my ears when I was digging into Elk. So is that ILP, the Impermanent Loss Protection Fund, is that from like pre-mined Elk or are portions of every time Elk is released through LPs, does a portion of that go into the ILP as well? So for ILP, it's purely pre-allocated. So there's an equal amount allocated as there is to farming, which changes each year that Elk is outed in us. So, you know, you, you get coverage up to uh, how much you've earned in the pool the whole time. And if you stay in for 42 days, which is our, you know, our full farming round, you get 100% covered. You get 2.5% coverage a day up to a maximum of what you've earned each day, basically in the pool. Yeah. So how did um, 
let me just try and explain, make sure I, I understood it properly. If I provide liquidity into an ELK and X token LP, I do not receive 100% in permanent loss protection unless I have been in that pool for 42 or more days and I have not added any new assets. So it gets complicated. You can add new assets, but you will only get 100% coverage on the initial you've added. So let's say I added you know, a bunch of LP day one, but then I added a bit more day two. Uh, you'll get 100% coverage on the first one after 42 days and then the rest the day after. Gotcha. So it kind of, it becomes cumulative over time, but it doesn't reset my first provision of LP. Correct. Yeah, that's awesome. So are these the sort of like metrics that you're envisioning the governance process will have a role in defining moving forward where users might say, I want to increase the days or decrease the days? Or what are some of the expected proposals you guys are envisioning putting forth to the community when the governance module is live? Yeah, so things like that are great. If somebody wants to make a proposal to change the amount of uh, you know ILP dates, if we want to launch on a new blockchain, is this the one? You know, what about this or that? We don't want to have to put everything through a governance vote, and that's part of the purpose of Elk Labs is a the development arm where we can make kind of quick and more flexible decisions while involving community in in the other ones, so we can kind of maintain that difference, so we're not just stagnating. Yeah, and I know that you have hammered the table that you're not a developer, or if you are, you're a developer, small d, not the capital D. But one of the things that initially attracted me and got me psyched on Neo back in the day was its finality. 17 second block times, 100% finality, whereas Bitcoin has a 10 minute finality and Ethereum has around three minutes. And then of course you started seeing these ETH killers as they arose and they started having quicker and quicker and more and more instant finality. So what does that really mean to you as a project? Like, What makes or breaks what blockchain you're going to integrate into the platform? How does finality really have an impact on these decisions? And what kind of considerations go into a blockchain's ability to achieve finality? Yeah, that's a good question. I think security, first and foremost, is like our biggest value. Because if you're not safe, you're not trusted. And if you're not trusted, you're nothing. So we we try to put as much research into that as possible. And there's been difficult situations with uh, various chains, you know, having having kind of concerns with finality. But I think as long as consensus can be reached in a reasonable amount of time, then we're game to do that. And if that chain has shown a positive track record of being able to do that without any, you know, major red flags, then, you know, we're generally good to launch there. So we, we have to make sure, you know, look at the chain's history, look at how they're laid out, you know, check the explorers as they're missing transactions, is there, you know, what what's happening with that. And as long as there's nothing severely posed to break confidence, you know, be open to going there, of course. Yeah. And, and I know you guys are currently expanding into uh, having a labs branch, which is probably going to have more of a research core, but, you know, the team is probably still small and expanding and blockchains. I mean, I've been covering Neo since 2018, and I'm constantly being corrected by my peers on things that I get wrong. So, oh yeah, what does like the research process look like for the chains that your team looks into? And at what point do you guys say we have a good enough understanding? Let's pull the trigger and migrate elk an elk contract to this chain 
and add it to our platform? Yeah. So we've got a lot of different things. Like if they're already a big chain, then we might just want to launch there because there's desire to do that. And of course, that makes the research a lot easier. But we look for specific things. Uh, do they you know, support a subgraph for our analytics, which will be until later, you know, the way we calculate permanent loss protection in our upcoming smart contracts, actually, it's built right in. So we won't need the analytics necessarily, but also nice to have to look at. We look at certain security protections, like I don't even know what they're called. Like, you know, those EIP standards, like with EVM chains, is that integrated? Can this function be done? Our developers will look at, okay, what are the functions? We need this one and this one. It definitely has to do this. Is it secure? And and so we're looking at all these different metrics. We have these huge spreadsheets with uh, almost every recognizable chain and some a lot of unrecognizable ones where they need to meet these certain requirements. And we go through and we check them one by one and we make sure that we can do these things and that it's secure enough. And then, of course, we look at grants. Do they have a grant opportunity? That's great because it allows us to, uh, you know, because we have to pay the folks that are helping. So can we do that? Until now, most, or well, even now, all of our grants actually go back to the community. Uh, When we do that, we do liquidity mining incentives and stuff. So we're kind of constantly pushing that back to our users. Very cool. I'm just going to go on a limb and assume that as it is a DeFi project, the team is decentralized as well. Yeah. So how did you guys get together? How do you collaborate? Who are your developers? Do you have a core team or... Do you kind of look for like Ronins, you know, samurais without a, a house on different networks who will maybe fulfill a bounty? What does the process look like for your development team? And do you have like a core or are you guys always looking for like freelancers? Uh, we generally look for core folks. We have like a team of about like seven developers. We're infrastructure heavy. We're an infrastructure project. So we're always looking for more. We have folks in, we have a business development team. We have a marketing team. And, uh, you know, we all kind of many different hats. So we all do a lot of different things. Uh, initially, I wasn't even part of the core team. I actually joined a couple months after Elk started. I was there when it started. I got the airdrop. That's how they sucked me in. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> I started in a you know, month and a half after they launched. So, yeah, we have folks in, in Switzerland. We've got people in the U.S., a couple of us in Canada and all over Europe as well. So it's kind of neat. We are pretty decentralized. This is your, what, 17th, 16th month in operation? Has Elk had like a Elk Summit yet or an opportunity to get together in person? We we did. A bunch of us got together at the Avalanche Summit in Barcelona in March. And let me tell you, that was one of the most incredible experiences of my entire life, despite getting COVID. It was really awesome. It was like the fanciest thing I've ever been to. Hats off to Avalanche for that. It was just like the thing that you imagine really wealthy people do that I would never get to do. Like people coming around with trays of fancy food and free drinks. And there's a Formula One car in the the thing. And there's these booths and free coffee. And like everyone wants to talk to you. And there's these millionaire VCs being like, "Mm, what can you offer me? Uh, And and it was really incredible. Yeah. Did you? um, I, I have to laugh. I've gotten COVID twice and both times was from the Ethereum Denver conference here in Denver. Yeah. (laughs) So the ETH crowd got me sick twice, but it was worth it. I'd go back a third time. Totally. 
Uh, so when you guys were all there, you know, you get to go to the summit, you're representing elk. Did you guys have like a chance to like break off for a day or two and just kind of like have your head down in person? Because increasingly in blockchain and distributed networks space, there's only a handful of days that you actually work side by side with your peers. Sure. So did you guys have a chance to like brainstorm and just like have a day heads down? Yeah, we had uh, some meetings like all in person, which is funny because we actually couldn't stop laughing and we're supposed to be serious in these like collaborative meetings. Not all the team was there. So there's like half of us, you know, and we're like, you know, you know, one of our our, our marketing guys wearing like four hats and everyone's laughing at him, but we're trying to like do these things. So we ended up uh, coming together really well as a team in person. We just kind of slipped together and it was awesome. We got to come up with some really good ideas, even just how we functioned at the summit, how it's like, all right, I'm going to go talk to these people. You talk to these people. We go over here. Oh, Snake, we need you you know, to come over here and, and talk to these guys because you have this piece. Or, and like, oh, can you make sure you talk to these guys? And coordinating was just uh, awesome. It was very good and very cool team building and uh, definitely brought us closer as a team. Yeah. And um, I wouldn't go ahead and say that Elk is unknown, but I also wouldn't say that it has like pancake swap volume. But, you know, there's a couple hundred thousand in TVL. It was closer to half a million when the markets were up. But how are you kind of perceiving your uh, reception, I guess, from the industry? Um, Like when people run into your project, are you seeing that they have an idea of who you are? Is it easy for them to grasp the service that you're offering? Are you noticing that people are more and more recognizing the the name recognition? Uh, what has kind of that been like as time has gone on? It's been pretty good. Projects are really usually quite willing to collaborate with us. And at the Avalanche Conference, for example, the summit, a lot of folks recognized, you know, elk. And it's like, hey, the elk guys. Uh, and that was really cool. A couple of people even recognized me from a video, which it's like, this is the first time anyone's ever recognized me without seeing me before. So I, it was like the smallest little like boost. But, you know, we're all about collaboration with other projects. We don't want to necessarily compete. And we know there's room for more than one. And uh, yeah, so it's been good. I think just uh, being able to connect with whoever, talking to VCs at the conference, everyone was interested in what we were doing, how it works, and uh, you know how we could do something going forward. And I think everyone kind of understands the value and, and the proprietary technology, at least in blockchain. So I'd say the reception's pretty good. You know what? It is always tricky getting things straight. Being on nineteen chains, uh, for example, like if you check CoinGecko, they don't even necessarily have our total TVL because they're only tracking a few of our chain. So you'll see that 500,000 on there, but you know, there's actually like a couple million locked or a few million locked, you know? So little things like that make it more difficult because the cool thing is we can spotlight one blockchain so we can attract users to wherever, which is pretty cool. So we kind of want to be that hub of DeFi. And I guess one of the things that we haven't done really is have any VC funding. We've been completely community driven and that's by choice and design. We see a lot of this vaporware out there where they've got a bunch of VC investments all over their website and most of the time delivers something that, uh, you know, is subpar and has lots of bugs or option two, nothing comes out at all. And uh, we really wanted to build the project first and then get the investors second, but not even in like an over the 
you know, over-the-counter token trade or anything like that. No OTC trade because, you know, we see that VCs kind of may sometimes put downwards pressure on the token after there is a boom. So we, we didn't want to put our investors, our community at risk that way. So that's why we're waiting until El- the incorporation of Elk Labs to seek funding for the company and the services we're going to offer as well, instead of an over-the-counter token trip, which can be risky. Yeah, I have to laugh again. Um, I remember the first time I saw one of my articles on our cryptocurrency, uh, and I was just like, I have made it. And so it felt really good to be able to be recognized like that, like you were at the Avalanche Summit, which also, by the way, just sounded like an amazing event to go and be a part of. Uh, It sounds like Avalanche just like smashed it out of the park with that one. Oh, yeah. So is this decision to be community sprung and community built from the ground up until Elk Labs is incorporated, uh, was this like a conscious decision or... Was like the first VC offer just kind of like, whoa, we don't like what the impacts could be. We're going to hold off on this. Or was that kind of like something that Elk has kind of started from the ground up? We're not going to take any VC collaboration or funding or partners until we have made it to X point. Yeah, I think that's always been in the ethos. Maybe not clearly defined, but everyone kind of knew. It's like, yeah, no, we're not going to do this. And, uh, you know, especially made clear as we first started having those meetings, it's like, you know, I don't feel comfortable in this way, like doing that and putting people at risk. We're going to go the moral kind of route in what we believe, maybe not objectively moral, but to the best of our ability and kind of try to make those decisions that are going to long-term not uh, hurt the holders because that's how you build a following. And, you know, of course we want to succeed and we're putting all our effort in and even during the bear market we're building. But if it comes between, you know, putting our holders at severe risk and making a buck or, you know, making the safest moral kind of decision, we're going to take the moral kind of ethical direction as best as possible. Even if, you know, it can be, uh, maybe it was going to be really profitable, but DeFi has enough risk. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) totally. So where... Will Elk Labs be incorporating? Because I know for a lot of projects in the States, there's regulatory concern right now. I know that Canada hasn't necessarily been the most forward-looking with crypto projects. Right. If you locate in a Caribbean islands, you look kind of shady. So where will uh, Elk Labs be incorporating? And what was like the decision process into finding a geographic location to you know stamp the flag into? Yeah, well, we're looking at Switzerland, mm. and a big part of that is to do some of the the regulations on utility tokens, which Elk is, you know, being tax free, things like that in certain jurisdictions. Uh, our founders from there, so we knew it really well. Uh, we kind of had that intent from the start, being that it was a natural fit. So we're we're hoping to have it there. Yeah. So Elk lives on nineteen different chains, but from my just like cursory glance and and just playing around a little bit, there aren't. Uh, liquidity pools on each chain, or am I? Yeah, there are actually. Yeah, there's uh, varying amounts. Like our smaller chains, like Hico, for example, uh, Howby Eco Chain has a smaller pool because there's not as much activity there. But you can use our decks and switch to any of those chains and uh, check out the different farms on each of the chains. So is Elk similar to Thorchain's Rune in that? For each chain that's supported, there's going to be an ELK and then that native token liquidity pool on that chain? Yeah, those are our biggest pools on each chain is the native ELK 
and native native token and elk and we also have stablecoin pools that make out a portion of that we actually have cross-chain aggregation coming out soon which is going to be built into our decks so basically you don't have to use elk net trade for elk first uh you could just swap avalanche for you know bnb on bnb chain avalanche on avalanche chain you know and uh of course those are our biggest pools so we always recommend people swap through the native token elk pool when possible Awesome. And I noticed uh, like a term that that kind of popped up with Elk is bridging as a service. So is that kind of like the philosophy and kind of where Elk is going to be moving so that, you know, users might not even be using the Elk token, but maybe there's an API that allows for transactions to route through Elk's connections? Exactly. So bridging as a service, the big part of that is one of our, you know, biggest kind of missions, even so maybe our biggest mission, right? Definitely. So basically we're going to have proxy tokens. So we're going to have a um, software development kit, an SDK that allows developers, if they have a moose or meet certain requirements, uh, which is our NFT, they can basically make their token cross chain and be able to access all of the chains that we're on, provided they meet certain requirements. And uh, it'll be kind of an open source way for them to immediately create a token on their other uh, on another chain. And they can do it in a couple ways. They can create a reservoir system just like us using the SDK. They've got to store some on one chain so it can get back and forth. Or they can do a mint and burn where it would burn tokens on one chain and mint on the other, which is a little slower, a little more expensive, but may work better for some projects. And we'll have uh, you know, a kit that allows them to design these things. And we actually don't know necessarily all of the uses that will come out of the SDK and bridging as a service. But uh, they can have ElkNet running in the background, you know, on their site, don't even have to reference it. You know, it'd be nice if they did, but we'll collect a small fee in Elk to, you know, for each transaction of a proxy token so that other projects, all they have to do is create a liquidity pool and they're done. There's nothing that has to go into that. And uh, audits will be, you know, it'll be similar contracts on different chains. So if they're pre-audited, it can be forked from that and secure. So it's saving projects a lot of cost in deploying on multiple chains. Yeah. And will portions of those fees that you just mentioned, will portions of that elk go back to elk labs? Validators. Validators. Okay. Yeah. Validators, community, and also a bit will be burned. Awesome. So you're building SDKs, you're creating uh, flywheel effects to continue funding the ecosystem. And you also have mentioned a few times the the Moose NFTs. Now, I'll be honest, I didn't dig too far deep into this, but it sounds like there's a lot of functionality that's baked in to give support back to the community. And of course, you also, it sounds like refunded uh, initial Moose NFT purchasers, but they probably didn't know they were going to get refunded. <laughs> so... What are some of the other unique ways that the Moose NFTs are engaging your early core contributors and community members? And what are maybe some other innovative features you guys have on the roadmap for those NFTs? Yeah, so uh, the basic function is like a ticket to create the proxy token, right? So that's that's one of the biggest features of the Moose. It's a utility token, uh, NFT, that uh, also, if you own it on one chain, all of your farms on that chain gain impermanent loss protection twice as fast. So you'd get a 100% coverage in 21 days versus 42. So an example of, you know, kind of utility. So that's one of the things that kind of continues to be uh, a function. So even our last uh, 
you know, when we launched on Arbitrum a few weeks ago, we just distributed our airdrops to uh, the moose holders and everyone who had a moose got 4.2 elk worth for each chain that they have a moose on, depending on rarity. So, you know, being that we've sold like nearly 600 moose, some people got some pretty decent returns on top of that, which eventually we'll have to phase that out because we've got so many chains and that math isn't going to work anymore. Uh, It's going to go exponential, which we've obviously, um, you know, let our users know. But uh, the capabilities for Moose will allow some flexibility in, in the X- SDK and kind of those abilities to go do that bridging as a service. And, and as for the future of them, it may be a mechanism to burn elk to get new Moose. We might, uh, you know, kind of have it go a different way. So, but I don't want to shoot any spoilers out. <laughs> Am I correct in understanding that Moose will offer developers unique incentives as well as just like a retail holder general DeFi user? Yeah. So the the with the developer, it's actually developer specific really, because th- that unlocks the ability to create the proxy token. They're the gateway, the key for such a thing. And the great part about it for regular users is um, maybe being able to rent out your moose using a smart contract to a developer and which you could uh, kind of get a regular sum for that or whatnot. And, and they also serve as a security measure, you know, because if we have it staked for a proxy token, let's say something went wrong and they maybe they messed something up or, or, or a chain went awry, uh, they can pull that moose and then shut down the function of that proxy token in an emergency. Awesome. That's really innovative and unique. And I hadn't thought of, I've always been trying to think of different ways to use NFTs and to provide different utility utility and, and developer-based services. And then also just the general benefits that your retail user gets is, is a really unique and innovative idea. Are the Moose NFTs cross-chain as well? So not currently. It may be that something goes that direction, but uh, currently they're only on the chain they're on. Okay. But um, some things are being explored. We'll see. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> and I'm just assuming that they're probably on like your polygons, your Binance Smart Chains, your Ethereums. Yeah. So we haven't done one on Ethereum yet, but we've launched them on Avalanche, Polygon, Phantom, uh, Hico, Gnosis, and Binance. Awesome. Yeah. Those are all the ones. Very cool. And um, we've just kind of like rallied through my questions. And <laughs> this is been a super and awesome informative discussion what are kind of like the next steps for what elk is planning to do what other chains are you looking at integrating what can the listener be excited about to keep their ears open for the next couple months or, or for the rest of the year yeah yeah so like uh big ones will be yeah chain launch announcements uh, when we decide to do that. Uh, look out for uh, liquidity mining incentives partnerships. So we're always partnering with other projects and we, uh, with our farms, can reward both elk and something else. Um, we might have some kind of new features coming with our DAP. You know, there's farming, there's staking, and we're looking into herd pools, which are kind of like syrup pools in a way where you'd stake elk for another token. Uh, We're kind of looking at that. No matter what, bear market or not, we're still here building because as cliche as it is, of course, we're in it for the tech. And this this idea has been there for, for a long time. So we want to be ready for the next bull market, regardless of what happens. So I think like checking our Twitter, being prepared, we're like, we've got lots of contests going on. Right now, if you follow our TikTok, uh, if you, you look at our uh, Twitter at elk underscore finance, you can just enter for a hundred elk 
draw for a follower of our TikTok. You know, we just were trying to get a thousand followers. So things like that. We've got competition in our Discord right now, a little meme competition. People can participate and get rewarded and be first, second, third, and, and get a little bit of elk for participating and making memes, which is fun. But yeah, always getting ready for uh, for projects, participating in an alpha launch of our SDK to, in order to bridge uh, proxy tokens and getting started with that in the next few months will be really cool. So not to mention later this year, our Swiss franc stablecoin, CHFT, is something we're, we're developing. And that's going to be an over-collateralized uh, stablecoin that can be sent cross-chain just like Elk. So lots of exciting features to stay tuned for, as well as governance. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, governance also opens up a whole new can of worms that are super interesting. Did you guys opt to go for the over-collateralized method in light of recent events, or was that something that was on the roadmap for a while? Yeah, it's always been the plan, is the over-collateralization. And better to launch something like that during the bear market when collateral is low anyway. So yeah, you know, of course, there's lessons we can learn from UST, and we're going to take those for sure. But I mean, we didn't have that algorithmic approach from the beginning. It was always over-collateralization of various blue chip assets. Relying heavily, of course, on you know pre-existing stable coins that are you know more legitimate. Awesome, and um, I guess kind of one of my final questions is: when you're looking at adding support for a new chain, are you also examining the automated market makers or other DeFi platforms on those chains so that maybe Elk can get listed on those DeFi platforms and vice versa? Yeah, we're always talking to those projects, and we often collaborate with um, Dexes on I think on every chain we're on. And uh, we, we kind of look for those partnerships because Elk isn't necessarily a competitor. It actually doesn't matter where the highest liquidity of Elk is. You know, we're going to have an aggregator at some point in the next uh, few months that will just swap where the most liquidity is. And if that's Elk Dex, great. If it's not Elk Dex, that's cool too. You know, we've collaborated with Trader Joe back in the day where there was lots more Elk on Trader Joe than there was on our own platform on Avalanche. And that was just fine. And so, you know, totally. Shiloh, what a awesome conversation, just throwing questions at you and having responses right away. It was really engaging, interactive, awesome to chat with you. Where can listeners of the Smart Economy podcast hear more about Elk Finance and hear more about Shiloh? Yeah, yeah, sure. You can, uh, you know, check out our docs. Always do your own research. That's docs.elk.finance. That's a big one. Check things out. Our social media links are all there under social media and education. Uh, we got our TikTok. That's uh, at elk.finance. We've got our Twitter, elk underscore finance. We've got our Telegram group. That's uh, elk underscore finance underscore chat. And we've got our discord you can look for elk finance there as well in our in our docs and yeah i think those are most of the things we've got our medium you know you can search for us on medium uh, elk finance better elk academy all those resources so variety of ways to get a hold of us reddit anything awesome and last question granted that this is the smart economy podcast and that is a broad concept what does the smart economy mean to you uh, the smart economy means a bunch of investors that are educated enough to make the best decision with the information at the time. So smart economy, to me, kind of encapsulates what the best parts of DeFi. Everybody able to kind of know somebody who knows the thing, 
or uh, able to grab the resources and have them readily available themselves to make the best decision that they can uh, regarding any initial investment. Great answer to end a great interview. Thank you so much for taking the time to come chat with us. It was a pleasure to meet you, to chat with you, and to hear anything and everything about Elk Finance. Well, thanks, Dylan. It was a pleasure to be here. And uh, yeah, I look forward to listening to this later. Sweet. Cheers. Well, what did you think of that conversation? It was really interesting to learn about the Moose NFTs that live on multiple chains and the varying functionality they'll have for developers to integrate proxy tokens into their contracts, and the benefits for DEX users such as airdrops and sped up timelines from permanent loss protection. It was also really interesting to learn more about how the ELK token lives on each chain the Bridging as a Service platform offers, and how the team utilizes a reservoir contract and a bridging contract separately to improve cross-chain security. With that, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Smart Economy podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support the show, please keep NEO News today in mind when voting for your NEO Council representative as part of NEO's governance process. We appreciate you and look forward to catching you next time.